As interest rates rise, volatility has hit equities hard. So how should investors think about equity investing amid high inflation and slowing economic growth? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of August 8th, 2022. And today we're continuing our tour de equity as we call in portfolio managers from across the New York Life Investments platform. Listeners of the podcast and market watchers in general will know that the value versus growth equity debate within U.S. equities has been very heated, particularly with all the changes we've had in the economy the past couple of years and all of the volatility this year. Our listeners may also know that our own team has had an overweight to value equities for quite some time. We highlighted that as one of our high conviction investment ideas when we reviewed our mid-year outlook a few weeks ago. We are so pleased to dig into the ins and outs of one of our favorite asset classes, value equity investing today with Adam Ilfelder of Wellington Management. Adam, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Lauren and Julia. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Well, we are certainly excited to hear what you have to say. But before we get really into the meat of things, our newer listeners may not be completely aware of what value equity really means in this context. So can you define your investable universe? Sure, happy to. So value invested, stated simply, is the ability to buy stocks that trade below what we believe to be the intrinsic value of that business. And we scour the market for these opportunities. Now, that sounds simple enough, and it seems like everybody should be doing it, but obviously, if everyone did that, then there wouldn't be an opportunity to differentiate our performance. And we feel that opportunity comes down to human nature and the behavioral biases that people have, where they tend to anchor to recent results and performance while losing sight of the long term. And within that bigger question of how to actually identify value, how does your team do it? What makes you stand out? What are your drivers of success? Well, our investment philosophy really centers on taking advantage of those behavioral biases that I just mentioned, which really causes companies that have short-term headwinds to become overly penalized, while those with positive structural change are underappreciated. And that gives us the opportunity to buy quality companies with superior cash return to shareholders that trade at a discount to our estimate of the long-term business value. So by using that combination of valuation, quality, and cash return, it allows us to have a philosophy that's really differentiated in that we strive to deliver upside capture in rising markets like last year. That's a great overview of your team and how you do your work. Let's zoom out a little bit to to the macro environment. It's very widely considered that macro conditions like economic growth, high inflation can be tailwinds for your value equity space. In other words, under the current conditions that we're seeing today, value equity may be receiving that macroeconomic tailwind that it had been lacking. Do you agree with that, Adam? Yeah, we would definitely agree with that. And and especially when you consider the link that this causes with interest rates. And so, you know, in an environment where there's little economic growth and low inflation, you see a very low interest rate environment. And with zero interest rates that we've seen over the past several years, there was very little cost to deferring profitability for so many of the companies. And so they would defer this profitability into the future and the market would become obsessed with revenue growth. So when you think about low economic growth, and you think about a greater premium placed on growth, 
that you see in very small pockets of the economy, you can understand that combining those factors will create an environment where value investments might struggle while growth companies can be rewarded by ever higher valuations. And that's now reversed. So we have strong economic growth, we have higher inflation, it has also brought interest rates off of the zero bound. And now that there's less scarcity of growth, you can see that there's a greater demand for profitability across the economy and across the markets as well. And that's really what's created the rapid adjustment that we've seen in favor of value versus growth over the last nine months. That's a wonderful and very concise way to summarize that upswing we've seen for value as interest rates have started to to rise again. We've seen a little bit more dynamism uh, on that side of the economy. But I'm wondering if we can carry that all the way forward to some of the risks that we've been hearing and talking about with clients, namely about recession risk. So as, as economic growth is slowing in response to those higher interest rates, what do you see as the more structural case for value equity? Equity if that cyclical tailwind is starting to get behind us now? In other words, can value equity, in your view, play a role in building general portfolio resilience regardless of those macro tailwinds? Yeah, we actually think that our approach is well-suited for many different types of market environments. And we're really focused on delivering strong results regardless of the macro backdrop. And that's why we feel our investment philosophy is well-suited in the current environment, given the uncertainty that is out there, as you mentioned. So what we've done is we've empirically tested our investment philosophy over the last 70 years. And we do that to ensure that it can create value potentially in many different market and macro backdrops. And what we found is that the combination of valuation, quality, and cash return may do exactly that. So if you think about the diversity of environments that we've really seen since the 1950s, we've seen low interest rates to high interest rates, back to low interest rates, and now going up again, slow to rapid growth and back again, deflation fears that become inflationary risks. This combination that I spoke of has really demonstrated durability through all of the many diverse market backdrops. The idea of moving up in quality or choosing high quality securities amid macro volatility has been a common one we've been hearing across portfolio managers and certainly true in value equities as well. A key distinction to be made, as you've been pointing out in your talking points, is what's undervalued versus what is cheap for a reason. Could you elaborate on what you said earlier about quality as a key variable you consider your investment process? How do you define quality and what are your key considerations? Sure. So quality is an essential characteristic to creating the potential for outperformance that I described in both up and down markets. And so in certain cases, certain environments, you can see low quality companies do well. For example, in a recovery scenario after a recession, many times you'll see those types of stocks do well off the bottom. But for those returns to be long lived and to persist both through and during cycles, we think quality is a critical component. And so for long-term investors like us, we see quality as sustaining that valuation upside opportunity. We define quality as a company's ability to generate cash flow, invest that cash flow intelligently and earn good returns on that investment, and then also importantly finance themselves conservatively so as not to have too much debt when we go into tougher times. In a similar vein, Adam, let's talk about defensiveness. The most commonly referred to defensive sectors in our world are real estate, utilities, staples, and healthcare, and those, of course, all belong in the value category. So as the macro environment is starting to shift and those recession risks are, are rising, do you make changes to get more or less defensive? And how do you measure or approach that? 
So we don't take a top-down view on whether we want to have a defensive portfolio or not. We really let the opportunities of the universe dictate how we're positioned. And what I mean by that is we have a disciplined process that combines the valuation, quality, and cash return of every company in our universe. And we focus our fundamental research on the best stocks from that perspective. And we look over the long term, so three to five years, not just the next year. And so we're always taking into account different macro backdrops, because if you're thinking over periods in terms of years, you can always have an environment where the macroeconomic environment might not be so cooperative. And so last year, for example, as the market appreciated dramatically, the bid for offense meant that many cyclical stocks became overvalued by our estimation. And so we had a lot of stocks in the defensive categories that you mentioned that started to look quite attractive. And accordingly, we increased our holdings in some of the defensive areas like healthcare, real estate, utilities. Now, as we're building the portfolio, we will marry our bottom up insights with input from our macro experts to understand whether there might be considerations that could inform why we're seeing the opportunities that are presenting themselves and whether we should potentially temper our enthusiasm for either offense or defense in any way. And combining the various investment insights from both our team as well as across Wellington, we're able to create a portfolio that should be positioned well for various market environments. That takes us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And Adam, you talked about the opportunities of the investment universe. So I'm going to put you on the spot and ask, what is your highest conviction investment idea right now? And and I recognize that you said you think in three to five year terms, that's fair. Uh, Which is your favorite? Well, we definitely still like our healthcare exposure. And the reason why we think there's opportunity within healthcare is we believe that the quality of those businesses is not being properly appreciated by the market, given there's a heavy historical bias of fear of governmental interference within the businesses. But the other area I would highlight is, interestingly enough, we're starting to see some opportunities bubble up where some of the more cyclical stocks are starting to discount recession already, even though we haven't even officially started a recession. And in opportunities where we really like the secular outlook for these companies, we've been buying more of those stocks. One final area that I would mention, which is not an area we've actually acted upon yet, but it is an area that historically has served us quite well is what I would call the broken growth darlings. And historically, what we see is that markets tend to bid these types of stocks up very strongly in good markets without realizing that they do still have some level of cyclicality to their business. And growth investors can excessively punish the stocks when the fundamentals inevitably face some headwinds during a time of softness like we're seeing now. And the reason why I say we actually haven't done anything in that area just yet is that these stocks haven't quite met our valuation threshold. And the reason for that is that the valuations were so high coming into this downturn that some of those stocks still look quite expensive. However, we're keeping an eye on high quality companies that may be candidates for inclusion if they do eventually hit our valuation targets. Broken growth darlings. That's such a succinct way to put it. And I think it's also a good reminder to our listeners that those distinctions between value and growth, they're not always set in stone and companies can at times move between them, especially depending on the strategy. So let's wrap up by thinking about value through the eyes of most of our clients and our listeners. Why should investors consider value equity in the context of a diversified multi-asset portfolio? Yeah, I think the thing we really love about our philosophy is that it has shown that it may perform well in multiple market environments and can provide a diversified portfolio across so many of the market sectors. The last year has really shown the pitfalls of anchoring to certain areas of the market. 
and ignoring the reality that valuation, quality, and cash return to shareholders matter if aspiring to not only drive strong performance in up markets, but also protect client money in more difficult market conditions. Adam, this has certainly been a tour to equity, tour de force. I've really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you for joining us and sharing your insights. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Lauren. Coming up next, we've seen the value side of the value versus growth argument. And so next week, we'll take a look at the growth side of that same argument. We'll be discussing opportunities in growth equity investing with Winslow Capital Management. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any fund or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for investment decisions. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. Not all products and services provided by Wellington Management Company LLP may be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulations in certain jurisdictions. Nothing stated herein should be considered as investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security strategy or investment product. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at Wellington Management Company LLP, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without the express written permission of Wellington Capital Management LLP. Wellington Capital Management LLP is unaffiliated with New York Life Investments. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and a common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.